Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loon podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics, Callum Williams, alongside Kendra D. St. Auburn. Lots to discuss over the course of the next uh, 35 to 45 minutes or so here on Sound of the Loons. Kendra, it's a very, very busy period, not only for Minnesota United, but for the entirety of Major League Soccer. We've had a couple of superstars arrive to the league since we last did one of these. We'll get to that a little later on. Uh, we're doing this um, in what, what many people would, would assume and say is the new way nowadays in terms of doing podcasts over the phone and over Zoom. You're back in the Twin Cities. I'm here in Los Angeles. You're due to join us out here in a couple of days because Minnesota, of course, play away at LA Galaxy on Wednesday. Before we get to that and dissect the opponent, let's go back to the weekend, shall we, and talk about into Miami. Um, back-to-back losses for Minnesota United. And I can't help but think, Kay, that there was an awful lot of similarities about both of them. Yeah, and I think it's that feeling. It's almost a more disappointed feeling when you take the lead and you play the way and create the chances that they did in the first half once again. And we saw it in New England and then we saw it in Miami. When then you lose the lead and end up, you know, losing the game. I think it's such a different feeling. You can take the positives away, which clearly there were a ton of positives in the attack, in the front four, and the, you know, the, the chances created, but then giving up the goals and the opportunities and losing the game late, especially on the road when you have those points just sitting there waiting for you to, to grab a hold of, very similar. And I would guess that emotionally and mentally, the guys are going to be feeling the same way after both those games, but all you can do is turn the page and, and kind of move on. And, and I know it was Michael Boxel, I believe, said that after the match. I mean, you can't, you can't focus on this one too much when you've got – LA Galaxy coming up on Wednesday night. It was the way that Minnesota lost the game. It was arguably the most irritating way to do so. And from a psychological point of view, probably the worst way they could have done that as well, Kendra, given the, the current run that the team has been on. Um, it, it, it seemed as though towards the end, they, they had so many different options. They, they had, a, once again, a litany of opportunities as well. But it, it just seemed as though as soon as Inter Miami scored that first goal, much like in, in New England, it felt as though it was only going to be a matter of time until the opponent got the second. Yeah, and I remember talking to Kamar Lawrence about that uh, mentality on Friday night. And I said, how do you get over that hump? And this was referring to the New England Revolution game. And, and how do you establish that mindset with the group? Because he may have that. He's a veteran of this league. He's been through the ups and downs, whether it's with – Minnesota United, whether it's with Toronto, whether it's with his national team in Jamaica, he's been through those highs and lows. But how do you get the rest of the group to understand that mentality of the grinded out, the fight till the death kind of, you know, figure of speech there where you just know that you have got to find a way to to put the opponent, especially once you have the lead on the road, really step on him and finish it off. And I just don't know that that has quite been established, and I don't think it's lack of effort. I mean, if you rewatch that game again, there's no giving up on that game. There was no quit in the group. There was no lack of energy, regardless of the temperature and the weather and whatever may have been going on on the on the field. So I think that is probably more mentally and emotionally draining than any other kind of loss, especially on the road, is when you feel like it was right there in your grasp, at least to come away with a point on the road to a Miami team that hardly loses there and hasn't lost since April in league play. 
Um, it's it's going to be maybe a, a tough one to bounce back from, but I'll be curious to see because LA Galaxy is not going to be much easier. We still haven't had complete confirmation whether or not Luis Amaria scored or not. Um, I think <laughs> from uh, from everything I've seen reports um, from various different sources, I think they've just gone with the fact that the goal was initially awarded to Amaria without anybody doing too much digging into it. It looked like both he and Robin Lord may very well have hit the ball at the same time on further assessment. But regardless, it was uh, a decent performance from, from Luis Amaria in the second half. Um, he got himself in the right position to, if he scored or not, um, it doesn't really matter because he got himself in the right position. And surely that, if you are talking of building someone's confidence back up, that is just one of several steps that he needs to take moving forward. Well, and I think even in the first half, we, you know, I was harping on it quite a bit, the fact that he needed to take his opportunities. He was putting himself again in the right position to be effective and to be dangerous and to score a goal and then just wasn't taking that opportunity. Clearly, there must have been some sort of conversation about it at halftime because there were times in the second half early on he was shooting at times where normally we'd say, mm, do you need to shoot that? But knowing how the first half went, he needed to shoot that. So I think that it was continuing to try to just find his form, build his confidence, knowing that he's fully capable of scoring from close range, from off of service, from taking a shot from distance. And you said it, Cal. I mean, he put himself in the best possible position. Neither him nor uh, Robin Lud gave up on that play and put themselves in a dangerous position right in and around the goalkeeper inside the six to finish that ball off. So I think that's a, a testament to the group. And I do think that Luis Amaria, hopefully that goal does wonders for him. We saw him score against SA Paderborn. We wonder if that was going to continue on to MLS play. And this might be something that he needed, especially knowing that, you know, Robin is going to be more suited on the right-hand side. That's kind of where he is traditionally playing. So if you can keep him on that right-hand side and keep Luisa Maria up top in that position, in that number nine, and he can be effective and score the goals that we know he's capable of, hopefully this is one that puts him right back on track and we start to see it in league play here. Minnesota United's depth was tested because of the suspension of Will Trapp in Miami. Josef Rosales started just his fourth uh, game in Major League Soccer this season. Uh, Adrian Heath said to us the night before he had little to no hesitation putting in the Honduran. How did he fare for you? I thought he was fantastic. He played 70 minutes and ended up going off with an injury, which was disappointing, and I haven't heard much about um, his situation to this point um, since the team left Miami. But I think that we've seen him in training. We've seen him... Um, play with confidence. We've seen him be effective on the ball, calm under pressure. I remember last year when he stepped on the pitch for the first time, I think it was at Sporting Kansas City, and he got kind of thrown to the wolves in a very difficult situation. And the calmness on the ball in a high-pressure scenario on the road, I believe it was to Kansas City, he wasn't phased. He wasn't phased about it. And so I think that he brings a tenacity from an aggressiveness on, on def defense and pressuring the ball and wanting the ball. He was the one dropping back in and around the center backs to receive the ball and start the attack to be that connecting piece with Ariaga, Reynoso, whoever it was in front of him. And so I think that there is a confidence about him. There is a calmness on the ball. And there's that tenacity and that energy of the hard tackle and getting in things and and um, really playing end-to-end -end if necessary, much like we see Ariaga play at times. And the Hondurans, the two Hondurans, I thought they did fantastic in the middle of the pitch. And it was tricky in the first half. It felt, again, that there was a lot of space in there. We talked about the width of the field. Will Trap reference to the width of the field in Miami. And they were getting awfully spread out because of the way Miami was playing and trying to go forward on the attack with the 
the width on the side. So I think that uh, Rosales put in a, a quite the shift, a tremendous performance. But me, I'm very much like Adrian Heath. It doesn't surprise me that he was able to do that. But again, just another positive, knowing that you have that kind of depth. Um, if you need to, if somebody gets suspended or injured, and you also still have Ja'Cory Hayes as an option. I'm interested to see what happens with Josip Rosales, because let's remember he's still only on loan from Independiente in Panama. Um, suggestions that that deal might be made permanent over the course of the next couple of months. And um, I can only imagine that it would be some sort of a nominal fee, um, given the financial situation of a lot of teams down in Panama. Um, this, uh, and also to my knowledge, I think he's on um, he's on a league minimum deal as well. So this would be a no-brainer for him to sign on a permanent basis. Yes, he takes up an international roster spot, but he's 21 years of age and he just seems to get better each game that he plays. Um, very much looking forward to seeing what Josef Rosales can do moving forward and the staff are big fans of his as well. Talking of the staff, Kendra, uh, the news out of the club last week was that Adrian Heath, Ian Fuller, Sean McCauley, all signing new contracts with Minnesota United. Yeah, Sean McCauley, let's just make sure I say that correctly. I know I said Sean McVay on the, <laughs> on the broadcast, and I want to make sure that I give Sean McCauley the, the love he deserves for joining us at halftime. But, I mean, I think for Adrian Heath, this was really important to get the rest of the group done, and he said as much. He said as much to us, you know, off record and just in conversations with him on the road trip. And then, of course, he said it publicly as well, that taking care of his staff and making sure that they got the deals that they deserved and that their deals were done before the announcement came. And and we all know what kind of pressure head coaches are on. I mean, under this isn't anything new. I mean, you go across any league in any country and, and including in the United States with the professional sports and even college sports here that I think there's always pressure to perform, to get better every season, to have some consistency in what you're putting out on the pitch or on the court or on the ice, whatever it might be. And I think that Adrian Heath, when you look at making – the playoffs the last three seasons, that's important. That is important when you look at this club and, and the goals they're trying to accomplish and the things they're trying to strive for. I think that's important to have that kind of consistency in the postseason appearances. And let's not forget that was in a pandemic. You know, you open a brand new beautiful stadium in 2019, then you go into a pandemic and you're in a bubble and you don't know what that means and fans aren't allowed in the stands. They weathered that storm. And then you have 2021 and they're making it to, you know, a Western Conference final in 2020. So I think that these are all things that if you're Adrian Heath and you're trying to check some boxes on your way to consistency and um, quality in this club, he's continued to move the needle forward and he wanted to make sure he took care of his staff as well, who's been here for a couple of years now with him. So... I'll be interested to see what the upcoming years look like because nobody's job is, is safe forever. We all know that. Adrian Heath knows that better than anybody. He knows he needs to consistently continue to improve and raise the bar with himself, with the club, with the team, with the roster. But he's got a pretty pretty quality roster right now that he's working with. So we'll see what 2020 brings the rest of the way here. Yeah, and let's just reiterate the fact, shall we, once again, that this contract was signed back in January. This is off the back of Adrian Heath and his staff making the playoffs three years in a row. Adrian Heath didn't want to announce the fact that his deal had been done until all of his staff's contracts were done. Eventually, the last one was done just a week or so ago. Um, let's rewind just back to Miami just for a moment or two, Kay, before we move on to, to speculation and all sorts of transfers going on within the league and what have you. Um, the Miami one was interesting towards the, the end because Adrian Heath has, has done this before in, in the sense of he's gone to a back five to 
preserve the lead that they have on the row. It's it, it, it's standard. It's what people do. It, it's almost soccer 101 when, you, when you're leading on the road and there's a certain amount of time left. You put an extra defensive body in there to preserve that lead. Um, I absolutely understand why he did it. Um, I, I think he went a little bit early, but I understand why he did it. And I, I've seen one or two people, I've, I've certainly had plenty of messages of people asking what, why, why that happened. Hindsight's twenty twenty, really, isn't it? Because had Adrian Heath have put on an attacking player and remained with four at the back and all of a sudden into Miami um, find themselves uh, getting themselves uh, a goal and back into the game and it's 1-1, the conversation then would have been, well, why didn't we go to five at the back? So I, it's a tough one because... I understand exactly why he did it, particularly given the fact they were on the road. Yeah, and I, I understand why people are asking that question. And I actually, sure. I I understand that hindsight is twenty twenty, but I also think we can look at history and see whether that has worked or not in the past with Minnesota United. And this is not taking a shot at any way, shape, or form at Brent Coleman in his ability to play center back. Not, none whatsoever. We've seen him step in there no problem alongside Debassi or Michael Boxel as a two center back system. But it just seems like, especially in this game against Miami, the way they were playing and the way the job that Debassi and Boxel were doing and passing off the player, communicating, Debassi was staying with Campana. Like, I mean, he was incredible with his ability to keep track of him all night long, which Adrian Heath had emphasized to us the night before when we chatted with him, how you can't lose him for a second. And then there's some passing off the players and responsibilities as other attackers are coming forward. And I thought that back line although there were some moments where players got through, they hadn't scored yet. And that, that back line has a cohesiveness about it and a communication factor. So for me, and, and again, I'm not the coach. I'm not making the decision. I'm not on the sideline. I don't know what you know what the communication is with Debassi and, and Boxel. I don't know what they're asking for. I don't know what's going on. But I, knowing what has happened in the past with throwing on a, a an additional center back late in the game to preserve a game, has oftentimes faltered for Minnesota United because of the communication that has to happen in the passing off of the players. And sometimes something gets lost in those moments, especially on set pieces. And when Miami's throwing everybody forward, trying to chase the game. So from a defensive standpoint, I absolutely would have thrown an additional defensive player on, but it would have been a holding mid for me. That's what I would have done. And again, it's hindsight's twenty twenty. I can say that now that they've been scored on and that there was, you know, a, a loss that happened. But I do think with Rosales, and this is, you know, whether he got injured or not, but Ariaga, and then you have a player like a Ja'Cory Hayes that's on the bench, maybe you put an additional central midfielder in that's a holding mid and defensive-minded, and you're still defending, but you're not taking away that communication, that cohesiveness between the two center backs. And then you take an attacking player off the field, or you have a little bit more of a two-way player that you can put on that's going to defend a little more. Maybe you take Luis Samari off and you push up Reynoso higher and or Robin Lloyd or something, and then you just throw in an extra midfielder to really kind of weather that storm, knowing that Miami is going to be going for it at home. Does that make sense, what I'm saying, or does that sound off base there? But I just feel like we've seen it happen in the past, and that's not a shot at any of the three center backs. They're phenomenal, but I just we've seen that happen before. I thought what was interesting was that prior to Miami equalizing, we saw for a good couple of minutes, Nabilai Kibanguchi was set to come in for what would be his Major League Soccer debut. And I just wonder how that would have perhaps changed things. Um, we've seen Kibanguchi, he's, he's traditionally a centre-half, 
but he's played at right back. He's also played in the centre of midfield for MNUFC two as well. I, I wonder if that would have been the body in midfield that you're talking about. It absolutely could have been. I know I just mentioned to Corey Hayes, but you're right. I mean, we have seen Kubinguchi not just with MNUFC two, but also in his college days. And prior to that, play in that holding midfield role that has those crunching tackles and those long legs and kind of setting the tone. So that's another one of those options where I think Adrian Heath just has the um, ability of depth on this roster to have some players. So again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, being critical of the center backs that were out there. I just think it's a very tough spot to communicate and pass off players, especially when Miami has the players they do have and the players they were pushing forward. And let's not forget Iguain came on the pitch as well. Um, and I don't think anybody thought Indiana Vasilev was going to be the guy that scored the two goals, but he did. And I, mm-hmm. I just think the communication factor between uh, the center backs is a challenging one. We talk about the partnership when it's two, and then you throw an additional third on there when you're under pressure. Sometimes that can be a tricky transition late in a match. I thought, whilst we're on the subject of center half, Kay, I know Luis Amaria got the bell back man of the match, but I thought that guy Dibasi was near flawless in Miami. I did too. And you can go back and watch that replay. And did you see that one foul that happened in the box? He just got tossed down. Um, the one that Campana was, you know, and, and DeBassi was arguing about and was the nearest goal scoring chance, I think, that um, Campana had the entire night. But yeah, I thought DeBassi was fantastic. And um, clearly there were some conversations there about tracking uh, Campana, even if he went checked back all the way into the midfield and kind of following him around. I'm not a man-to-man marking per se, but it was mostly his responsibility. And then Boxel cleaned up all the rest. So I thought Debassi was fantastic. I saw Dane St. Clair in the hotel bar after the game in Miami. And uh, he, uh, he, he, we, we just started talking about the game. And I said to him, I don't know how you, you made that save when, when Campana's executed the effort. And he said, neither do I. Um, <laughs> I, I love I the honesty. <laughs> he said, I thought it was one of those where I still get a piece of it, but it, but it goes in. Um, and he just said, look, it, it is what it is. And he said he, he thought Dibassi was fouled in the build-up anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. But it was, um, it, it was really, um, uh, uh, there, were, there were glimpses, there were signs that once again, Minnesota United can be a very, very good team. Unfortunately, against Inter-Miami, um, they were undone by Indiana Vasilev, who, who came on, as you mentioned, and, and scored two very, very good goals, which St. St. Clair uh, could do nothing about either. Um, now then, before we head to break, then, Kay, uh, we are going to talk about the, the rest of Major League Soccer in the next segment because there's a lot to digest. Um, it looks as if Adrian Unu's time at Minnesota United could very well be coming to an end. There is uh, a, a litany of speculation and reports out there suggesting that Angers in Ligue 1 in France are his likely destination. Um, we can't confirm this. We don't know. We've, we've not seen anything at the moment. Uh, we're recording this on uh, what's Monday morning for, for me in Los Angeles and, and Monday afternoon for Kendra um, in, in Minneapolis. It, it, it looks as if it could be the case. He could be on the move. Um, what, what are your overriding thoughts of this, if indeed this is the case? I think that uh, my overriding thought on this is that Adrian Anu has been a, a consummate professional. He came over here with the understanding, you know, leaving his boyhood club, which we've talked about several times, and Adrian Heath talked about several times, to want to be a part of this team and help this ch- team a- achieve success. And he wasn't able to be on the pitch as much as he would have liked. And I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, he wants to play. So I don't know if, if this deal is accurate, if these reports are true. Um, I think that 
they that he wants to play and whether whether that's here or going to be here or whether it's somewhere else i think that i i i just feel like adrian and new came every day to work we were at training most days and we never saw him come out with a bad attitude we never saw him you know uh, moaning about uh, not getting a, a, a chance on the pitch or not being in the starting 11 or whatever it might be or um, being on MNUFC 2 or playing in a U.S. Open Cup game. I mean, none of those things. He always came to work every single day with a positive attitude and worked his tail off. I think he was well-liked by his teammates and is well-liked by his teammates. So I think that ultimately this just, you know, maybe isn't the right fit for him and whatever that means for him going forward, I think that um, – you know, the team is going to have to, the team will support him. And if it's what Adrian Anu wants and they come to some sort of an agreement and it means that he's going to play unless he thinks he's going to play here. I, I just wish him all the best. I mean, and honestly, every player that's ever come through here, however a trade happens, however a situation goes down, whether a player chooses to leave or they're out of contract or whether Minnesota United transfers a player, I think that you always just wish these guys the best of luck because it, this is a tough, tough challenge I mean playing professional in any league and anywhere in the world um that's a business at the end of the day and it's also very difficult to come into this league and break in and be effective regardless of where you come from or how good you were wherever you were and even Luis struggling a little bit this year you know we've, we've talked time and time again about Amaria scoring the two goals in March and what he did when he first was with the team the first time around before the injury and before going back to Ecuador and 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 scoring goals there it's tough to score goals here, and it's tough to find your footing in this league. And uh, I, I just wish him all the best if that's the case because we'll see what happens. But ultimately, you just want what's best for the player and the club at the same time, and I think he just really wants to play, whether that's here or somewhere else. Okay, we'll take a short break. Uh, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alana Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Okay, a very warm welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Callum Williams, Kendra D. St. Auburn with you here. Okay, lots to digest with a slew of moves in Major League Soccer just ahead of the upcoming transfer window. Um, we'll, we'll go with some of the ones here that we, we know are um, imminent and, and several that have happened. We, we mentioned on our, uh, our pre-game show on television the other day, Sporting Kansas City have uh, allegedly signed two attacking players, which they desperately needed after both Gaddy Kinder and Alan Toledo, both designated players, out for the season. Uh, suggestions are that Eric Tommy uh, is arriving from Stuttgart in Germany. Uh, William Agade from Israeli side Hapoel, Jerusalem, also arriving. Um, DC United, who let's not forget Minnesota United, are due to play here over the course of the next few weeks have transferred designated player midfielder and Peruvian international Edison Flores to Atlas FC, the champions of Liga MX. And before we dive into just some more there, Kendra, let, let, let's go into Sporting Kansas City, shall we? Two signings that they absolutely needed to make. 
Yeah, and you know this club probably better than anyone having the time that you've spent there and the people that you still know there. But when you see Sporting Kansas City kind of on the struggle bus like they have been and knowing that the injuries that they've been dealing with, and of course they've transferred some players and sold some players to different teams overseas. We talk about uh, Busio having having gone as well, but then you're getting up in age there with a player like Graham Zusi and Johnny Russell, and you're just trying to figure out what is the right mixture for Peter Vermees. And, and he's making the decisions from a sporting side and a head coaching side. And I feel like something needed to happen. Alan Polito being injured and out once again, and he missed most of last season, that's a big hit for them. I and mean, he was their first, what, $9.5 million man, more, more money than that club had ever spent on, like, everybody combined. So when you lose a player like that um, – and a goal-scoring threat, I think that's going to take a hit. But then you were also leaking goals at times. So something needed to change. You hope this is the the catalyst that can maybe get them going in the right direction. But right now they're, you know, sitting in 13th in the West um, with the 18 points. And I, I just think that Peter Vermees, he'll never, never throw in the towel by any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, uh, or the 16 points, excuse me, in the 18 games that, that they've played, I don't think he'll ever throw in the towel, but I think that he'll be. this will be a welcome addition, these welcome additions coming their way to kind of maybe fuel the fire a little bit and spark the energy amongst the group again, With especially coming off that last to Seattle, 3 nothing on the road. I mean, Seattle's a tough place to play, but that was a difficult loss. Staying in the Midwest briefly, St. Louis, who of course will be coming into Major League Soccer next year, as an expansion team, have signed midfielder Edward Leuven as a designated player from Erste BSC in the German Bundesliga. But no doubt, Kendra, from a at least a, a, an eyeballs point of view and um, people becoming attracted to Major League Soccer, there were two signings, or at least a, a big signing and one arrival of a signing over the course of the last few days that have really drawn attention. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne landed on the ground in Toronto. We're assuming he'll be available uh, for Toronto FC's next Major League Soccer fixture. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, Gareth Bale was confirmed as an LAFC signing just over the last uh, day or two. That is a monstrous signing. Um, That is a signing that I think really turns heads in world football because there were so many places for both Bale and Insignia. Um, They could have both gone to, to... a myriad of, of different places. I know Gareth Bale. I, I, I know somebody who is close to his agent. Um, the, the thought was was that he was going to go to Cardiff City uh, in the English Championship just because that's where he's from and he wanted to be comfortable. That's also where the Wales, the, the national team uh, training facility is as well. Um, he wanted comfort. That's the move everybody thought he was going to make. But he had offers elsewhere in the English Premier League. There was extreme interest from Italy's Serie A. And yet he chose... Major League Soccer. It was very, very similar with Insigne as well. Now, no doubt Toronto FC has paid him a bucket load of money to come over to Major League Soccer. But this is somebody who was a part of the Italian national team when they won the Euros. This is somebody who, again, if he really wanted to, could have stayed in Serie A. There was interest from La Liga. There was interest from the Premier League in Insigne. This is a really, really good sign for Major League Soccer, in my opinion, Kay, that these types of players are wanting to come now. And I think, you know, to your point about the options for Gareth Bale, and and specifically in a World Cup year where Wales is going to the World Cup in November, I I wish I could be a fly on the wall for those conversations, whether it's between him and his agent or him and 
um, his agent and, you know, John Thorrington for LAFC or whoever it might be. Like, what was the deciding factor that puts that player over the edge? And let's let's even take money out of it because none of these guys really need money, right? So what is the deciding factor when you choose to come to this league and what that means not only for the league but also the player that they are choosing this league over others in this time um, and in this position, in time in their life and in their career. So, I mean, this is fantastic for the league. And I'm, I'm so excited to see both those players with their respective teams. Um, and I think that this is going to continue to elevate this league and it's going to continue to uh, put the impression on other players from other leagues and other countries that this is a, a place where you can come and you can grow and you can be a part of, regardless of whether that's, a one-year deal or an 18-month deal or whatever Gareth Bale ends up doing, signing him as a TAM player reportedly and with an option of it becoming a DP. And then we just saw them playing last night. Carlos Vela reportedly has officially re-signed now. So I think this is um, all positives from this, and I hope Gareth Bale comes over and crushes it because we also know that you can be the best player in the world and you don't know how that's going to transition necessarily into MLS. Um, I think he's going to embrace it. And we talked about this on the, the pregame show, or maybe it was postgame. What kind of player are they going to be getting going into the World Cup? A very motivated player, but what will he look like mm -hmm. after the World Cup? Could mean something different, but nonetheless, let's just see how this first couple of months goes, even leading into the World Cup. And I'm excited for these two players. And we saw all the social media with Insigne arriving in Toronto. It was fantastic. You can tell the crowd, the fan base there is excited, and I think he'll make an immediate impression as well. Yeah, we'll get into the, the little details of Gareth Bale's deal here shortly, but you, you mentioned it in terms of Insignia, and we spoke about it with regards to Gareth Bale on our pregame show in Miami, but what, what about Insignia then? What type of a player are Toronto FC getting? Well, I think it's another one of those players, and you can talk about what you saw from just his arrival, and I think, honestly, when you get a good player like that, and I shouldn't say good player, a great player like that from another country – the first thing I do is try to fight, figure out what their motivation actually is because we have seen some great players come over here and not succeed. So when you're actually then talking about first and foremost, what is the motivation of that player? What does he want to do? What does he want to accomplish? At what point in his career is he coming into? Is he ready for this league, for the travel, for the different climates? And Adrian Heath has talked about that before and the challenge of that. And then the second half of it is just what is he going to do for this team? How is he going to accomplish and affect this team? Because this is a team in Toronto that has struggled mightily for some time now, and we're not just talking they're on, on the heels of a one-year slump. This is something that has been going on for quite some time. So I think for them, it's first and foremost getting him onto the pitch, getting with his teammates, him understanding the effect he's going to have on that club, and then seeing how that translates into the league games themselves because I don't know that anybody fully appreciates what this league is and the travel and the, the quality of this this league on top of it means until you actually get in it. He's tricky. He's crafty. He's excellent when he drops the shoulder. Who do you um, think he most reminds um, you of, of somebody that Toronto has signed in the past? He reminds me of, of another little Italian that they had in the past. Sebastian <laughs> <laughs> so Giovinco. Um okay. He, that there are absolutely similarities to, to both players for sure. Um, and I, I'm interested to see how he fits into this Toronto FC team in, in the sense of is he, is he a, a player that plays uh, in a wider position? Is he somebody that sits underneath the centre forward? If that's the case, what does that mean for Alejandro Pozuelo? Um, it, it'll be very, very interesting to see. But he, I, I would assume he would start out on the left-hand side. And I don't know if that means in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. 
Um, I, I would argue the closer you have Pozuelo and Insigne to the centre-forward, that, that's more than likely going to remain Jimenez at the moment, um, the, the, the better for TFC. Um, I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be a game-changing signing for them. Um, Toronto have had an up-and-down season so far. I think this is a signing that absolutely cements them as a playoff team. Providing he stays clear of injury. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's had a, a couple of injuries in the past for sure. Um, but this is a, a tremendous signing. This, this more so than a lot of the, the bigger names that have come over, I think, in, in recent years is a game-changer in my opinion, just because he, he's still of that age. He's, he's not you know, a, a 33-year-old. Uh, he's not a 34-year-old. This is someone who uh, is absolutely in his prime. This is somebody who, as I said, could have gone anywhere and he was a part of the, the Italy team that won the Euros uh, last summer, unfortunately. We don't need to get into that, though. Um, and, um, or how they failed to make is, the World Cup. Player. We don't want to talk about that either. Well, that's true as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I. But do you do you think it'll be different, though, with Bob Bradley? I mean, we were just talking about Juvinko, and that was under Greg Vanny. So sometimes, too, I think it just depends on how Brad, Bob Bradley is going to utilize him and incorporate him into the system with Toronto and knowing the pressure that they're under when they haven't, when things haven't been going well and you bring in a big signing like that. I think, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if he started out on the left-hand side as, as almost like an inverted winger, um, just because I, I think the closer to the centre-forward he is, the better. Um, he, he, no doubt he can operate uh, as a, a traditional winger and, and get to the byline and play the ball across, but I think he's just got so much more about him than that. And I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying traditional wingers are limited. I just think Insignia offers so much more than what a traditional winger does where he can open up the hips and move inside and move to the edge of the penalty area. I bet you the first goal he scores for Toronto FC will be from him opening up and moving inside uh, and the goal may very well come from the edge of the penalty area or something. That wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. He's, he's a top draw signing this is and um, what it's due by the way to, to Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment for, for investing in him. It's not the first time they've they put the, their hand in the pocket. It, it's a really, really good signing and uh, very excited to see him. But also very excited, as you mentioned, to see Gareth Bale. And, and the, the one thing which I was thinking about consistently over the, the course of the last few days, I did a, did a piece on, um, on British radio yesterday talking about this. And um, I, I think what's going to be very, very interesting to see is you sort of briefly touched on it earlier on. He's coming to Major League Soccer in a, a World Cup year where he knows he has to remain fit. I, I don't actually think it matters if he, if he plays well or not it, from a, a Welsh point of view because he's going to be in the, in the roster anyway. But of course you want to play well for your club team, so it matters from an LAFC point of view. But um, I, I think the main question I have is if indeed both parties do come together and choose to execute that extension, which reports are suggesting the deal would then move um, into a designated player contract. What's the motivation then for Gareth Bale? What, what, what are, what, what are his motives in that situation? What, what does he look like after he's already played in the World Cup? But we're assuming he'll go up and say he says clear of injury. Um, what, what does Gareth Bale look like after that? You know, we all know he likes a game of golf, um, and that's fine. He can be a good footballer and still enjoy golf. But that's my concern. Not, not, not concern. Um, that's where my antennae go up, is if, if the two parties decide to come together and execute the 18-month extension designated player contract, what sort of player then, I wonder, Kendra, are Gareth Bale and, and LAFC going to, going to get there? I think that's, and this may be, I'm not trying to skirt my responsibilities or 
uh, on this one, but I do think even I'll be able to tell a lot leading into the World Cup on how he's embracing this. I know he's motivated to go to a World Cup and stay fit and be ready and, and play for Wales and try to see how far he can take them. But I do think even how a player of that stature and of that level comes here and just in, and takes on the league and embraces it right from the get-go, that will tell you a lot just about the player and what he's possibly going to look like after the World Cup and what that means for LAFC. I mean, we've seen a number of players, high-named, high-priced, high-whatever-you-want-to-call-it-profile players come into this league, and if they don't, aren't coming here for the right reasons and aren't fully embracing the league and what it means to be here and be a competitor, because we can't just assume that everybody comes here and they're still going to have that same competitive drive that they do when they play other places. So I think if, if I see from him in these first couple months that he's here before the World Cup, and it's not just about the World Cup, it's just about him as an individual, as a person, as a player, as an athlete, I, it will tell me all I need to know about what he's going to be like after the World Cup. And maybe I'm not even thinking that, but we've seen enough players come over here, and some embrace it and some don't. And some, you know, they just drive on and they have that same work rate about them, the same work ethic, the same competitiveness, regardless of who's in and around them and what they've achieved in other places. And they carry that right to here because that's just the person they are. I think I'll be able to see that right away from Gareth Bale and those in L.A. will as well. So I'll be curious to see just these next couple months what he looks like. I think that's going to tell us what we need to know after the World Cup and what kind of a player they're going to get. What's your thoughts? I think... Um... Uh, as we said, I, I, I'm just very interested to see what he's like after the World Cup. Indeed, if, if they do come to an agreement, I mean, look, maybe he just comes and plays here for for the remainder of the year, and then decides to, to go back to the UK or, or or go back somewhere else in Europe. I, I don't know. Um, what I will say though is it's um, it, it's tremendous work from John Thorington, the the GM of, of LAFC, who has pulled this off because this 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 initial contract is not a designated player contract. I have no idea how much money they're, they're paying him. My assumption is it's, it's at the absolute peak you can get before you hit that designated player tag. Um, but then again, maybe it's not because of the salary cap. I, I don't know. Um, but I thought it was an interesting way, actually. And I was chatting to, to one or two people about this over the, the course of, of this news breaking. I don't even know if, if, if this is... It has to be legal because the league have allowed it. But Wait, what? It, 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 so <laughs> listen to this. It, it's an interesting... It's an interesting way to get around the designated player rule here by offering a player like Gareth Bale a, a, a TAM deal, a huge TAM deal, with a designated player contract as an incentive afterwards. So you're still getting the player in, um, but he's not a DP at the moment. Now, of course, that, if, he, if he remains and, and, and returns as a DP, then you've got a situation where you perhaps have to get rid of a DP if you've got three. You know what I'm saying? So yep. it, it's an interesting way to, to get around the designated player rule. And like I said, I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that was legal. And, and like I said, it has to be because the, the league have allowed it. Um, I, I just thought it was very interesting. And I wonder now if we see more teams try something like this, offer huge TAM deals to, to players like this, sort of, um, you know, to, to teams that have already got three DP players i wonder if if they do this and offer a, a dp contract of some sort for you know the, the season after and, and just oh, it's just a good way to get in a player like this it'll be very interesting um but we'll, we'll wait and see either way gareth bale uh, is in los angeles uh and to my understanding is going to make his mls debut 
against LA Galaxy, and that will be absolutely mouth-watering. And talking of LA Galaxy, they are Minnesota United's next opponents. They play on their Wednesday evening at Dignity Sports Health Park. Um, this is going to be very interesting, Kay, because um, LA Galaxy, I think it might have been you that pointed it out during the week, um, they did not play over the weekend. Their game against San Jose uh, was postponed for various different reasons. Um, this is going to be a refreshed LA Galaxy playing at home against an extremely well-traveled Minnesota United. Well, and a refreshed LA Galaxy team who's also coming off now their last game will be against Sac Republic and U.S. Open Cup, which um, they got beat 2-1 to one on their home field. So I think they're going to be a motivated bunch. You look at that roster they put on the pitch against Sac Republic in the U.S. Open Cup. It was a really stout, sturdy, regular 11 um, and made some substitutions like Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, or, you know, in the second half. So it wasn't like they were just leaving everybody out there for rest or anything like that. I think um, this is going to be a really tall task for Minnesota. It was even before any of that. Even if they had played the San Jose Earthquakes, even if they had beaten Sac Republic, I think that this would have still been a challenge because it's a road game in the Western Conference against an LA Galaxy team that, for the most part, continues to kind of find some of its form a little bit. We can talk about Jovalich and how he's starting to find his way and can he partner and play alongside or with, um, Chicharito, can they find a way to try to combine for some goals? Because Chicharito, we all know um, Javier Hernandez and his work rate and his work ethic, and he was kind of on fire in the beginning of the season, but he's gone quite some time now without a goal in league play. So he's going to be ready and hungry. So, yes, a well-traveled Minnesota United team. You've now gone on the road at New England. You've had a week, um, but your international guys, let's not forget, just came back before the New England Revolution game. Some guys that have traveled halfway around the world, they play, they get back on the plane, they go to Boston, and you suffer a loss at Boston in the first half that you played extremely well. Then you have a few days of training. You're still trying to catch up on that sleep and get everybody fit and healthy. And then you hit the road to Miami and another very difficult place to play in, in which you had the lead and weren't able to hang on to it. And now you've flown directly to L.A. You have a couple days to rest, recover, recuperate, regenerate. Um, I'm sure the training staff is on in full force right now trying to get everybody ready. And now you have a, a tough game against L.A. Galaxy in the Western Conference uh, on Wednesday night. So this is... This presents challenges, whether LA Galaxy had played over the weekend or not, is always a difficult place to play. There are elements of inconsistency about LA Galaxy this season, though. They're sixth at the moment in the Western Conference as we're recording this, but you go back and look at the, the home form, they've had some, some really eyebrow-raising home defeats to the likes of Orlando City, FC Dallas. They lost 3-0 at home to Houston Dynamo. Uh, back in May. That, that's very un-LA Galaxy. And as you mentioned, that they also lost to Sacramento Republic in the Open Cup uh, in their last game. This is a, a very winnable game, Kindred, given when you, when you look at some of these results. The Galaxy, no doubt, as you've insinuated already, have a very good roster. And, and there's not many people that, that come to the Galaxy and they haven't over the years and, and gotten a victory. But, but this year, when you look at some of these results, you feel as though there's a chance here. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think I don't ever question whether or not Minnesota United can find a way to win a game at home or on the road. We've talked about the quality of this roster and what they're capable of doing. And when they find their form from an offensive standpoint and they're clicking, how beautiful it is to watch some of that combination play in the movement off the ball. Defensively, Minnesota United, for the most part, has always been stern and solid the last couple of years. And I think that then that translates into the midfield and then into the attack. 
I have no question whether or not Minnesota United can go on the road and find a way to win at LA Galaxy, even though they've come off this game and this long travel from Miami. And I do think that Greg Vanny is still trying to figure out exactly what it means for this team to be cohesive, to be consistent, to grind out wins. He said as much after the loss to Sacramento Republic that this was not good enough from his group. This is not, they did not bring the same intensity to that match as they had done in the prior U.S. Open Cup game, which happened to be against LAFC, one of their rivals. So I think that there's some pressure on that group and there's pressure on Minnesota United as well with the recent results. So when I look at what LA Galaxy has been at home and what they've been the last couple of years, this is a team that can be had at home and you can score goals on. I believe last year um, in that final game of the season, I believe it was 3-3 three to three at LA Galaxy mm -hmm. in that crazy game right before when everybody was trying to figure out and decide their playoff positioning and it was so tight late in the run there in the season. So... I think if I'm Adrian Heath and I'm this group, I'm I'm feeling good about the chances, but you have to know that LA Galaxy is going to come out with a point to prove coming off that U.S. Open Cup loss. What of Dejan Jovic then? Four goals in his last four games. It's very difficult to drop Javier Hernandez, though, is it not? Well, I think, you, it, yeah, it's of course it's challenging, especially when you bring the kind of intensity that Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, what he brings. And all we've ever heard about him, I've never worked with him directly, but is the intensity, the competitiveness, the willingness to do the work to hold himself accountable as well as others. This isn't a guy that's just there to coast along in his later years coming back to L.A. He wants to win as much as anybody. So you're not dropping him just because um, – meaning Javier Hernandez, you're not dropping him because he's not putting in the effort. You're dropping him because he's not scoring goals. The bigger question for me is, with Jovalich scoring the, those kind of numbers as of late, how do you find a way for them to play on the field together? How, do you, how can they complement each other? How can Greg Vanny try to find a way that even if one of them starts and one of them comes off the bench, but they play for some time together, how do they find a way to complement each other and make each other better and make each other effective. And then you have a dual threat that is preoccupying your back line. How do you do that? And if I'm Greg Vanny, that's the puzzle I'm trying to solve because I think that Jovalich is in tremendous form right now. I think Chicharito is going to be itching and scrapping to get back in the mix and to get on the, the score sheet. And I think Jovalich is one of those players that can actually provide a little bit of that um, and, and get – get Chicharito going again from an attacking perspective. I don't know if it means you have to drop one. It just means you have to figure out how can they be most effective maybe together. So what have Minnesota United then, Kay? Because I must admit, I, I thought to myself, given that Wednesday night's game is against the Western Conference opponent, I wondered if in Miami, Adrian Heath might have rotated one or two. Now, obviously, Will Trapp was unavailable due to suspension. We're assuming he will come back into the centre of midfield. But do we expect any further changes for Minnesota United? Well, yeah, and you said it there. I mean, he, Will Trapp should come back in, and Rosales left the pitch with an injury anyways, so we don't know what his status is. But again, just another option. Um, for me, it's really going to be the health of the players. And it didn't surprise me that he did not rotate the, the squad as much as we thought maybe he would, being it was an Eastern Conference opponent against Miami because he also understands that or Adrian Heath wants to win, and he's going to go into every game with his best 11 in that moment considering the matchup. So it didn't surprise me that he didn't rotate because it's too hard. It's oftentimes hard to look ahead to the next match when you've got to face what's right in front of you. The only changes I could see possibly making is, um, do you put uh, Huang Wani in there right from the get-go 
um, Abu Dhanladi, is he ready to go? When we're talking about those wing spaces, that's a lot is being asked of those players, not just the outside backs, but the wing spaces in Fragapane and Robin Lud. Do you rotate one of those players out and start with some more fresh legs in a uh, Bangagukle Longwane or um, an Abu Dhanladi in those wide spaces? That would be the area that I would maybe look at um, to see if there would be possibly some rotation or just a different starting 11. But I don't know that there's much other chance and opportunity to rotate anywhere else unless I'm completely missing something thinking about who's available and, and who's ready to go. I guess we'll have to see Kamar Lawrence and uh, DJ Taylor a lot asked of those positions as well as we discuss all the time with the outside backs. I, I just wonder if Adrian Heath goes with Luis Amaria um, and, and does, does he opt to go with Robin Lord up front and that would um, put further emphasis on your points with regards to Longwane perhaps coming in to the um, the attacking front forward assuming I agree with you, but, regular... but what does that say to Luis if he scored the goal and then you don't start him in the next game? I mean, if we're trying to build his confidence up and get him going, that would be my only question because I agree with you. I mean, Robin, we all know, can play anywhere at any time. He looked like a mm. little bit tired towards the end of the match. A lot has been asked of him between his international duty and then playing nearly all of every game with Minnesota United. Um, I know a couple games ago it looked like he had some kinetic tape on some part of his leg. So that that would be my only question is I, I don't know what if, if all you've been asking Luis to do is score goals and then you don't start him in the game after he scored, what is what does that say? And I'll, again, I'm not privy to any of the conversations that Adrian Heath is having with the players, so maybe that's already been discussed and the message is clear um, if that change is made. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yep, I, I understand the point completely. I, I just think in that situation, you put the arm around the player and say, look, it's nothing to do with you. This is just purely a tactical change. I thought you looked a little bit tired in Miami. Um, I just want to give uh, Robin Lode a go up front um, because I, I, we, we all know Robin Lode drops a little deeper. Um, at times offers uh, a, another body uh, in deeper positions. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this was the case. That, that is indeed if they go with a 4-2-3-1, because it's very possible say, they could do a 4-3-3. We've seen that on the road before. Yep, and I, I wouldn't doubt that one bit as well. And I think, once again, this leads to the fact that Adrian Heath has options, and they're all good options, and he has the ability to change the formation or the rotation of the players if necessary, depending on the health, the fitness, the wellness, and, and of course, the tactical matchup as you bring about um, that point. So, yeah, I mean, I think that he could absolutely do that. And then, again, it'll depend on the midfield battle. I mean, oftentimes we've seen a change, and then it feels like Minnesota's maybe outnumbered a little bit and doing too much chasing in the middle of the pitch. So I think that's just something that Adrian Heath will continue to evaluate. And now we're already Monday afternoon. Um, don't, don't have too much time here with the game Wednesday night. It's going to be here before we know it. Absolutely. And it is the game that you, of course, can watch on Bali Sports North and the CW Twin Cities at 7 p.m. pregame show, 7.30 kickoff central. Uh, looking forward to seeing you. Sorry, 7.30 uh, Pacific, to my knowledge, unless my clock is completely all over the place. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't even know what time zone I'm in right now. This has been a very busy few days. Uh, Wednesday night, LA Galaxy hosting Minnesota United. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you then. From all of us here, a very good day to you.